You're listening to the Toolstation Western League podcast with Ian Knockholds and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to episode 13 of the Toolstation Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds, and I'm delighted to welcome a special guest, co-presenter. Uh, we've had James Healy. He very nearly burnt his house down last week when we um, when, when he came to help us on the podcast. So I've had to um, I've had to pull out an old fan's favourite. Um, of the podcast. It's Ray Johnson, of course, the former Hallen manager. And um, Ray, thank you very much for, for taking the call and joining us um, today. It's great to have you on. Yeah, very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it as always. Splendid. Now, these are difficult times, Ray. So um, uh, g- given that you find yourself without gainful employment at the moment, how have you been spending lockdown? Um, well, working lots, um, being miserable lots, uh, playing darts online. I've got the physique for darts, you see. You've been playing darts uh, online? Yeah, basically through the, the wonders of FaceTime. Um, got a phone stand and point it towards a dartboard and go from there. That's, that's um, yeah, that, I mean, that's sort of, this is, this is, this is the, uh, the, the cup final for um, you know, for technology, isn't it, at the moment? We're, we're, we're reaching out, we're connecting people. It's all good news. Um, and of course, I suppose most importantly, we're still doing the podcast, which is um, which is why we're all here. On on tonight's episode of the podcast, we're going to be hearing from the league chairman, John Paul. Obviously, um, I'm sure all the listeners will be aware of the fact that the Western League has taken the decision to suspend fixtures until December the 18th. And we're going to be talking to John about that decision. Um, we'll also be hearing from another um, favourite of mine on the uh, on the Western League podcast, the former um, Radstock Town, and it would be fair to say Chippenham Park manager, Brett Partner. Yes, there's definitely a, an element of the feel-good about the Brett Partner interview, I'm very pleased to say. So if you're listening to this and feeling a little bit down, then between Brett and uh, uh, John and Ray and myself, hopefully we'll, we'll be cheering you up. Um, and with that in mind, I'd, I'd like to kick off with a, with a few parish notices, um, because you know, as with the first time we went into lockdown, um, the Western League clubs have been doing... Um, some fantastic work to um, you know to support their communities and on Saturday I, uh, I made the trip over to uh, Radstock Town um, who were collecting for a local food bank and I'm very pleased to say uh, it was a very successful collection they, they collected over a thousand items very well supported there was a steady stream of people going out all socially distanced I hasten to add but what was perhaps the nicest thing to see was it was the first team who were doing all the donkey work so all we had to do is bring a bag of shopping up with us and that was all getting sorted out and organized um, by the uh, by the first team players so it was a real team effort and congratulations there to Radstock Town and one other notable mention I'd like to make uh, and that is um, for Lee Rendell the uh, first team coach at uh, Cle- uh, Clevedon Town um, who for the second year is collecting money for the charity Kids Out and uh, now the charity Kids Out aims to give disadvantaged children positive experiences to support them becoming future members of society and more than 20,000 children flee domestic abuse to seek sanctuary and refuge each year with some having experienced physical emotional and even sexual abuse in, in conjunction with women's aid the charity works to remind these children and thousands of others living with disadvantage what it's like to have fun as we start the, the countdown to christmas i don't think there's a better charity um, that we could that we could look to support. I think what Lee is doing is absolutely fantastic. I've already donated, and uh, along with the, the podcast um, link, uh, we will definitely be um, promoting what Lee is doing because I think that really is absolutely outstanding. The charity is Kids Out. Congratulations to Lee, 
and all um, the very best of luck to them. So on that, from that positive start, um, we'll introduce our first interview, which is with John Paul, the chairman of the Western League. Of course, we've had John on regularly um, over these challenging months, trying to understand what the Football Association are thinking, what the Department for Culture, Media and Sport are thinking, and what the Western League board are thinking about managing football at the moment during the coronavirus pandemic. The news, as I said at the top of the podcast, broke um, last week that the fixtures will be suspended uh, until December the 18th. So I started by asking John, what was the thinking behind that decision? We were conscious that with regards to uh, the position we found the clubs in, um, in particular the Bristol clubs, uh, 16 in there that were dropped into tier three, that we straight away had a problem um, trying to operate the conscious of the fact that there was another uh, review um, scheduled by the government for December the 16th. It was felt that it would be in the best interest of everybody just to give ourselves a bit of space really to look forward um, with regards to how we could, you know, how we could forward plan it, if you like. So we suspended it. We, we set the 18 simply because had there been any changes implemented, on the 16th that we could have benefited from, it would give us just a little bit of time before the Saturday the 19th when we had a fixture list in place. Um, obviously, last week was quite a fast-moving week for, for everybody trying to come to terms with what the new tier system was going to mean. And I suppose when a lot of the announcements came out on Thursday of last week, it was fortunate that that, that was the date scheduled um, for your latest or the, the, the latest meeting between the Step 5, 6 leagues and with the Football Association. I mean, was um, having it on that day, was it, was it helpful? Were you able to get clarity from that meeting on what the FA was thinking about how the tier system was going to impact the season? No. To be, to be, you know, to be blunt, they, they've not really given any leads at all. Um, I'll expand on that a little bit at the moment. I mean, the key points that came out of that meeting was regards to the sort of statistics that were rolled out is there's 97% of the National League clubs are in either Tier 2 or Tier 3. There's um, an exemption that applies uh, for uh, match official or club officials, players, to travel in and out of Tier 3 areas. No spectators will be allowed in Tier three grounds these were all definitive statements that were made obviously clubhouses in tier two and three would not be allowed to open they then went on to uh, talking about the financial implications with regards to funding that will be made available that was very wishy-washy really because it appears that a lot of the money that, that could be made available would be done in the form of loans and I think they acknowledged and they certainly had you know reaction from the clubs or the leagues that were present that that wouldn't work if it didn't come in the form of grants then the chances are that you know there wouldn't be a particularly big take up on that so they were going to go away um, however and, and readdress all that the disappointment is they still they still seem totally fixated on trying to get their restructuring program implemented 
at the end of the current season. And it goes without saying, you know, why there's this amount of importance being put on it. We all know the need, but, you know, if it isn't this season, well, what season? Um, but that was pretty much what came out of, of the meeting. There was, there was, there was no direction. There was, there was nothing. There was nothing given. Um, not, not from their point of view at all. So, picking up on a couple of the points you've made there, John. Then, so tier three, we know that our clubs would have to play behind closed doors, which is, of course, something that that really from the very beginning the leagues and the FA said wasn't um, acceptable at our level of the game. And, um, and in Tier 2, um, there are restrictions on, on tea huts, aren't there? I mean, what, what, what is the position? What, what could clubs playing realistically be able to sell fans on a match day? I think it's easy to say that they can. I mean, the, the ridiculous... I mean, where our biggest problem is, is not so much Tier 3, because that's a pretty black-and-white situation, really. But it's Tier 2, whereby having clubhouses um, closed in terms of viability is not is not particularly helpful to say the least. But being able being able to open a tea hut and operate a tea hut together with spectators gives you a sort of half a chance to cover you know, cover some of the costs that we say. But they've they've indicated, you know, with regards to selling anything from a tea hut has to be consumed off of the premises. Because it has to be regarded as a takeaway. But the question was asked just for clarity. So, yeah, I, I think we were all sort of not really sure what what was you know, what was being sort of put out. And the, the definition came back as if I bought a burger from a tea hut, then I would be expected to leave the ground. This is how ridiculous it is to leave the ground. So that would be then be deemed as me taking it away, consume it off of the prem. So that that was the definition that was put on that. Well, that pretty much says, you know, what is the point of opening it to you? What did become apparent was that certain local authorities, and I'll be careful I say this, were turning a blind eye to it. In other words, I think some clubs were the view that they, that, that they were going to continue um, until at such time that a local authority come along and said to them, well, you know, it's not acceptable. It's a real kick in, to be quite honest, because at Tier 2, we, we, knew, we knew we had a problem with, you know, well, we've got 16 clubs that sit in Tier 3. Um, so we've been trying to look at all ways and means of, of trying to to create a fixture list that is going to allow that to continue and you're subject then to asking clubs to go into uh, tier two clubs to go into tier three uh, tier three to come out of it bear in mind that as I said before the indications are that 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 is acceptable uh, with regards to anything but spectators I mean, it is a, it's a very complicated situation. Um, I, I, is there a view on whether clubs could play friendlies at this time? I would suggest that it's perfectly all right to go ahead and play a friendly, but you'd obviously have to do it under the terms and conditions that apply. 
And I mean, in regards to having spectators in and opening, you know, opening up clubhouses and such like, well, the simple answer is no, you can't. But spectators could attend in a tier two area if the clubhouse was closed. Yes. Uh, this is a very difficult question to ask anybody at the moment, John. Um, I mean, and, and perhaps it's one better addressed to government than even the Football Association. But, I mean, you're a very experienced football administrator. I appreciate that these are unprecedented times. But, I mean, you know, do you have a feeling how this situation is likely to develop? Not after last night. Um, I attended a meeting of chairman last evening. Um, and that was all leagues throughout the country. We've tried to put together various options as regards to how we could see the possibility of trying to continue playing um, and creating a fixture list that that had purpose, if you like. After last night, uh, and I've not had the opportunity to speak to colleagues since then, uh, can I explain that Northern League, they're not not playing at all. But others that are attempting to play and facilitate like, for instance, Tier 2 clubs, if they want to play, they're, they're facilitating that. You've got Tier 3 clubs that are saying that they won't travel in, you know, um, the Tier 2 clubs won't travel into Tier 3. With regards to having a view, the, the feedback I was getting last night was there are leagues out there that genuinely cannot see or they can fulfil or they, or they could complete a season. There's some that I think probably can't even see themselves playing again. Probably, I mean, some were talking about March, for instance. There's a lot of dispirited people out there now that just feel that... that I think it's wrong to keep pointing the finger at the FA, but because the FA are obviously controlled, you know, to a large degree by by the government regulation, but I don't think anybody can can really be convinced that, that... we could actually complete a season. My own personal view is, is is that will it start up again? Yes, I think it will. But will it will it involve all clubs? I don't think it will, if I'm honest. Until those tier three clubs come out and come back down to tier two, and even then the viability if we can't get clubhouses open. I just, I just don't think it's even right to expect the clubs to buy into it. Depends very much on who you talk to, and be honest. I mean, if you talk to players, and you, I get it. I, I mean, you know, players. Have, you know, I, I want to be playing football, but I think, I think there's also the fact that you, you, you know, the priority is still the same. It's still the safety of, yeah, everybody concerned, and that's, that's club officials, that's spectators. And, and can, can you put something in? You know, I mean, there's everything's in place now, isn't it? And, and you know, we still got a problem. Yeah. I mean, things do look more promising. Um, I'm an optimist, me. I, I just think it can it, it can be made to happen. But you've got to have an awful lot of people right buying into it all. And my thanks to John for his time. Now, Ray, um, I suppose if we were having this conversation. Um, a few months ago when you were in charge of Hallen, perhaps your judgment of the decision to suspend fixtures will have been focused on the situation that Hallen um, find themselves in. They're in tier three, of course. Um, I mean, you know, looking at, perhaps looking at as an outsider now, I mean, what do you, what do you make of the league's decision to suspend fixtures? 
my my feelings on that whole situation go well predate predate the start of this season. So um, I don't think it would have took much realization to work out actually how serious this was going to be as as a as a that the virus has been like quite a serious issue for quite some time. My initial thoughts, and I still stand by them at the time, were that the season should be suspended until the restart. Now, we I think it was the the longer the more it went on, the longer it took for the it to be realised that actually it wasn't going to be a, a like a five minute wonder. Yeah. Um, until there was a vaccine available. Now, obviously, that comes with a time frame. Personally, I would have played out the end of last season maybe have one game every two weeks um, This with a late start and, you know, therefore it had been safely done. There had been less movement of people. Everyone can still get their, their fix, scratch the itch if you like. And obviously with the second wave, I think you could have played like one game every two weeks with a couple of cup, cup competitions involved. Um, there wouldn't be no bunching up of the system, uh, bunching up of the league when the weather got bad. I think that would have been a safer, more clever, smart way of doing it. However, that didn't happen. So I reckon, regarding suspending the fixtures, I mean, ultimately what we're doing at this level is a hobby. It's not job-related. Yes, it provides entertainment for to a, like, a, a small amount of people, like the, the, the people that come and watch, you know. But for me, you've got to take whatever advice we get given and, you know, because ultimately people's priorities, whilst people's priorities at this stage whilst it's important that health and football and the hobbies for your mental health and things like that is important people would people need to be fit and well for work um as, as people have families people have lives as well so um my first thought is making sure blokes stay well so that they can work if that if that can be done safely if we can resume hobbies you know in terms of like hierarchy of what we actually need and what we want and if we can then get the football back on, then great. Um, so, but it's got to be done safe, and it's got to be done right, and it's got to be done. You know, it's it's got to be done um, to protect people's livelihoods eventually. Because if you think a lot of the a lot of guys would be self-employed and you know going to struggle to get through and need the work and things like this. So, um, yes, we all want it to start. Yes, we want it to be a good league, but it's going to be a bit of a mess as it is anyway. So, can we keep it safe? Can we? make sure blokes stay in work. So given the situation with so many of the league's clubs in, in tier three, I mean, it would be a cruel master indeed to suggest that clubs have to keep playing potentially for months behind closed doors, you know, with opportunities for very little income, if any, just in order to fulfill a season. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one. And it, I, 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 it's a thankless task because you're not going to please all the people here. There's, there's, you, you can, if you come up with one answer, then someone's going to be upset. If you come up with another one, then another. You're not going to please everybody here. Um, I think, you know, ultimately we do have to bear in mind the fact that this, like none of, the, none, none of, everybody, none of anybody involved at this level do this as a primary source of income or a job. It's, it's, it's hobbies and volunteers. And, and I think a lot, we've got to make sure that whilst everyone is keen as mustard to get everyone back in playing and, and all that sort of thing, I think we need to actually just bring it back and make sure everyone's safe first. And if it isn't, if, if there's even one, one, one element of doubt, then we need to um, be, be wise about it. 
If you're thinking, Toolstation, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a tool station near you. Well, um, moving on to sort of happier um, times, let's get talking about the football again. Now, one of your former clubs was Radstock Town, wasn't it? Well, what do you remember about your time up at Southfield's Recreation Ground? Yeah, so um, I came in partway through the season uh, working with Terry Moore. He asked me to come and help, help him out for a bit. Um, I was only young at the time. I'd have been about 29, 30 so it was a good exposure for me into the league from uh, from behind the scenes rather than just as a player. Um, what do I remember from Radstock? Lovely bunch of people, really nice bunch of people. Thoroughly enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Um, even now, I still I still uh, remember the you know the people that were running down there, the Wilkinsons, etc. As um, good people, and if I if I ever bump into them, I'd like to spend a bit of time chatting to them. They're nice guys. Highly entertaining individuals, definitely. Well, another highly entertaining individual, of course, is their former manager, Brett Partner, who's currently, um, amongst other things, working up at Bristol City. Following on from the interview we did with Richard Fay um, a couple of weeks ago in our Blast from the Past feature, I thought now was a good time to get back in touch with Brett and find out a little bit about what he's up to. Of course, he left Radstock because of the commitments he had at Bristol City. So I started by asking him about what that role entailed. Well, I'm delighted to welcome back to the Tool Station Western League po podcast, Brett Partner, the former manager of uh, Radstock Town. Um, obviously, it's lovely to see you, um, Brett. This is very much, this interview is part of our, um, 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 I was going to say Phoenix from the Flames series, but Blast from the Past um, yeah. series. Obviously, you, you made the decision before this season began to leave your position as, as manager of, of, of Radstock. And I know that was largely because of your commitments to um, uh, your job at Bristol City. Um, yep. Just for the benefit of the listeners, can you tell us a little bit about what your work at Bristol City? So I work part-time for Bristol City um, on a Tuesday, Thursdays and a Saturday uh, with the under-16s. Uh, I work with a, a guy or coach called Mickey Bell. He's the manager of Cleveland Town as well. So Mickey was ex professional over 600 appearances in the football league um and just working with him with the 16s so 16s is quite a big age group really because it's it's the age group where they get released or or they get offered a scholarship for under 18s and obviously professionals so it's it's a big ask obviously for ourselves to train them up as best we can to hopefully get them over the line um and like i say with radstock as well it was just getting too much um because i started it last january um I was going from Bristol to Radstock and like literally three times a week and plus I had my full-time job as well so it was a lot of work so I had to make the decision of going you know what's going to really progress me and um, yeah I chose Bristol City I think it was the right decision there. Can you tell us a little bit about the youth set up at Bristol City because I was uh, you know is there much crossover do, you know do the under 16s sort of get promoted to the under 18s if they're good enough and I suppose yeah. there's an under 21 side as well? Yeah, yeah. So there's an under 23, under 18s, and then the 16s. So the 16s and 18s uh, play on the same same time and, and literally like opposite pitches to each other. Um, so they can swap 
Um, so, you know, a 16 might play the first half of our game and go over to the under-18s. Right. Uh, under-18s is struggling or, or needs fitness. You know, they'll come and play like a half of the 16s, really. So whoever the 18s are playing, um, usually for COVID, it was, um, we'll play whoever they're playing. But with COVID, some teams are not sending their 16s or not sending their 18s and stuff. So uh, we've been playing sometimes similar teams, but then sometimes different teams as well. And is there an opportunity for you to get involved in some of the higher age group coaching? Yeah, so last year before COVID, um, the 16s and 18s would sometimes train together as well. Um, and then sometimes I would coach under 18s as well, you know, sometimes on my own, sometimes with the, with the coaches as well. So um, that was a really good opportunity. But obviously with COVID, they have to be their own separate bubble. Yeah. We have to be bubble. And, and yeah, but hopefully it goes back to normal towards the end of the season and hopefully next season so because obviously it's a really exciting opportunity for you to be able to work not just with the likes of Mickey Bell but obviously the other coaching staff um, at Bristol City it's you mm. know it's great to um, to be part of a professional football club it is and that's what I want to aspire to to work in a full-time environment and in, in football you know if that's coaching wise academy wise uh, even obviously later down the line hopefully be a manager one day in a football league club you know obviously Got a bit of luck, but then, you know, I'm just going to try my hardest to get there, and that's my ambition. Um, but working with some of the coaches there, you know, so you've got like Mickey Bell, you've got Marvin Brown, you've got Brian Tinian, um, you've got Trevor Chalice, and these all people have made like over 500 appearances in the league, football league. And then I'm just stood there thinking, I'm just the guy from, from Chippenham, really, who's played at <laughs> Western League. So, yeah, no, I, I'm in a way blessed. But I have worked hard to get where I have, and I'm just learning every day from those type of people, and hopefully I can um, keep pushing. I mean, obviously you've mentioned COVID a couple of times already in this interview. Mm. Uh, I mean, we're coming to terms with it in the Western League. You know, we talk about clubhouses and wearing face masks, and whether players can go into changing rooms wearing face masks, or whether they have to go into two changing rooms. Can you give us an idea from you know from, with your level of football? What, what what are the restrictions like that you're having to get to grips with? Uh, it's really tight, uh, just because it's an elite environment. So during lockdown, because we're classes in elite environment, we're still working. Um, but what I've seen of Western League to obviously what we're doing is totally different. You know, we, we have to fill out a, a COVID questionnaire every time we go in. If one of them says yes to anything, it could be just a sniffle, you know, I say you're not allowed in. You know, you have to be, it's that tight. Uh, we have our temperatures checked all the time when we go in. Um, and like I say, if one person gets it, the whole bubble goes. So um, it is very tight and, you know, we get escorted as coaches on and off and try and stay away from the players as much as we can. Players come in their own little bubbles on and off. Um, so yeah, it's really tight there, but it's good. You know, we've got to disinfect everything after um, every single cone, every ball, you know, and the bibs got to be washed at a high you know, degrees. So it's really good to, for the protection of the players actually. So yeah, it's massively different, I think, to what, well, I haven't seen a lot of the Western League, but what they're doing, I think. It's interesting, isn't it, to contrast the elite environment that you're talking about and obviously what happens at the, uh, you know, at the Western League level where players have got other day jobs, um, you know, they've got their own households, their children may well be at school, so they've got, they're going to come into contact, I suppose, with a lot more other parts of society, whereas you're, you're, you, you know, where, where you are, um, uh, you know, it does seem a lot more limited in terms of sort of, you know, who you come yeah. in contact with. It's just because obviously Bristol City's professional club, uh, each player is is classed as an asset, you know, and 
and that is an asset to the club. So they've got the club have got to do what they can to protect everyone, coaches, um, players, and, and stuff like that, really. And like I say, Western League, obviously, because it's not professional, they can only do so much yeah. to an extent. And obviously, with a professional club like City, they can they can go beyond that as well. Just yeah. the guidelines of the FA. Um, but like you said, people got day jobs, they got families, they mix, you know. And then this is probably why the delay is of the of the Western League, which is upsetting for everyone, I think. Um, so let's reflect on your your time in the Western League. Obviously, your your last position was with Bradstock. You, I know you were involved with other clubs before then. I mean, given that you know that what we've just discussed about the fantastic surroundings you um, you currently find yourself in, do you miss do you miss your time in the Western League? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's totally different coaching like under sixteens or or under eights or whatever you're doing to men's league. Um, it's a lot of work. I think people don't realise what a manager does. Um, I never did when I was a player until I took the role on, uh, my first role at Chippenham Park. Um, you know, I, just in, it's incredible the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and also just you're always getting constantly texts as well from players. They might have, pro, you know, they might have an issue um, and, you know, it might be five, six people at a time and you've got to try and deal with that as well. Plus you've got to talk to the chairmen and obviously because it's a community club, Radstock or any Western League club, you know, you've got to do a bit for somewhere else. So, yeah, I, I do miss it a lot. I do be, like, I like being hands-on with stuff. And I think with City, you know, you've just got your job to do and that's it. You know, it's not like get the kit sorted out, get all this, this and that. You know, it's just you're so focused is develop these players. You coach them, you manage them and, that's, and then you review it and that's it. So, um, which I do like that. I, I don't miss like putting out all the kit and, and nothing like that. But, I do miss game days massively. Now, I mean, obviously, the, the events of last season, at the, particularly the end of it, was was very frustrating for yourself because um, you know that you had the team going really well. Uh, now you're out of it. You're able to, I suppose, to look at what's going on in lower league football with with a slightly less um, personal view on you know what would be a good outcome for your club. So, I mean, given given where you are now and you look at what's going on in the Western League, I mean. Yeah. You know, how would you know? How do you how do you feel about things at the moment? You know, given where we are with tiers two and tiers three, it's just so complicated, isn't it? Really, you know, we were, I was talking to Mickey the other night, and I'm thinking, you know, as a tier two club, can they go to a tier three? Or you know, I think they were supposed to have Parkway last weekend. Obviously, it's been postponed. But I was like, because they're in tier three and Parkway in tier two, are they allowed to travel? And everyone's still it's still up in the air about stuff. So I I feel for every club. Feel for the fans as well. You know, it's been hard. You know, it's all right watching Premier League football, but there's nothing like watching non-league football, being there on the sideline with your friends and and people you know on the pitch as well. It's 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 just the community feel, isn't it? And when people can't have that, it's it's hard. And I found it hard as well. And I know a lot of my friends in football found it hard. Yeah, with with the tier system, it it's gonna affect for a while unless when you don't have the tier system. So I think. Barsh was saying something about I'm not having the tears in February or something like that. It's going to be a massive struggle, I think, up to then. Um, you're going to have a lot of postponements. And my worry is, which happens every year in April, May time, when you get three games a week, this is only going to make it worse. So they have to extend the league, really, till till June, I, I would say. Um, that's obviously up to the league to do. But my personal opinion, being a manager and being a player itself, it's a lot, you know, you get like Jurgen Klopp saying, oh, it's quite a lot of um, work and time and, 
you know, games in one week and they only got sometimes one or two games, go work nine to five and play three or four games a week. Try to do that every week till, you know, for the last two weeks, three weeks. So, yeah, I think they've got extended. Just, it's, and, you know, the circumstances we've never had before. So the league have just got to take into account that as well. Plus these tier systems. Um, again, I'm not sure if you're allowed to travel to two to three. But yeah, it's just, it's just a bit of a nightmare, isn't it, really? I mean, you're talking there about extending the season. So, I mean, obviously the football man in you would want to see this season concluded on the pitch, not another null and void. No. Uh, last year, we were doing so well. Um, I thought, I think we could have got promoted personally, uh, people might have other opinions, but a lot of people I know said the same thing. It's absolutely heartbreaking, to be honest, and it took a while for me to get over that. Um, just working so hard when I first came in the season before to get to where I got them, and then being told, oh, sorry, that's it, like, it's just non-void, you know, it's everything you've worked for in that season. It's just a waste, in a way, a waste, it's not a waste of time, but in a way, football-wise, it is a waste of time because we didn't get promoted. So, But we had some really good experiences, though, up to then. You know, we played Yeovil Conference. They brought down over their, well, three-quarters of their first team, and we went to penalties, and we lost on penalties. You know, we did that. We beat some really big teams. And just I was just really happy with how I left Radstock. Um, just, yeah, it's just a shame that we couldn't finish the league. Um, and I hope it doesn't happen again. Because I feel sorry for whoever's top now, and you know if they've been working so hard to get there, and then it's like, oh, sorry, I said, you know, wait till next season, and it's a long time till next season as well. Um, we're only in December, so I'm hoping we can finish the league definitely. You want to be steady on there, Brett, because you know the team that's at top of the first division at the moment is Welton Rovers. So oh, um... I, hope, oh, I hope they don't win it. I'll tell you that. You know, <laughs> no, no disrespect to them, but I'm a Radstock boy, so. <laughs> Notwithstanding not knowing who's on top of the first division at the moment, have you been keeping up at all with um, with with news in the uh, in the Western League in terms of you know how the season's going, how the clubs are doing? Yeah, I I I dip in in and out to be honest. Um, I've been trying just to focus on other things, so I've, it's been a busy month, uh, busy year for me actually. Even though we had COVID, so I've got married, I've moved house, um, other things been going on in the background as well. So I have been asking some people how they've been getting on. Uh, my nafe was manager asking him all the time how he's going on, um, measured Ryan, who's the manager now, anything he needs, um, I'll try and pop in now and again. Um, but, you know, being married now and stuff like that, I've got to focus on, you know, doing this house up and um, i got a, a project, I'm doing um, a football project actually, um, which is a personal thing of mine um, for, for coaches and managers, but I'm hoping to launch that in February. Um, it's a bit of a consulting type thing. I don't go into too much into it, but um, it's just to help out local coaches, to be honest. And I've got a program type thing to to launch, so I'll be working on that as well. But very interesting stuff. We might have to come back to you on that in a in a future interview because that does sound um, that does sound um, very interesting. I mean, it does sound like you've packed an awful lot into this year. But you know, for most people, 2020 will be the year that they want to forget but I suppose with you tying the knot you managed to find a way I mean yeah. all of us in the footballing particularly in the Western League where many people are wondering how on earth we're going to find a way to play football again will you manage to find a way to get married in a year when when the government keep on telling us we're not allowed to do things like that so <laughs> so, so well done it was a bit of a nightmare really just because we we're supposed to get married in May lockdown and then we, um, we arranged it for the end of October and then in September Boris said about the the 15 rule um 
and I was thinking, right, do I do it for 15, which would be a bit sorry for everyone really, because it just, there's not a lot of people, is there? Or do we wait until next year? And I'm thinking, do you know what, I've postponed it once. I'm not doing, no. Do you know what, so we had, we, on the Tuesday night, me and my missus sat down and said, right, what do we do? And we thought, do you reckon we could do it this Saturday? And we looked into the church and stuff like that. And um, yeah, we uh, planned a wedding in literally like three days. So That is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. Very um, so yeah, we literally did it in Radstock as well, Radstock Church. Uh, went up to Pease Downs, a beautiful little coffee shop up there. And they they did a really good job. They just transformed the whole place into like a, in a wedding venue, really. You know, it was all white, all the tables were white and lovely cutlery, all the food. And it was just amazing what had done in three days. And everyone had to sacrifice different things. Um, so had people cleaning the church the night before. It was just, it was amazing. Yeah. And I've looked, we've got the footage back now and it's just, honestly, it's so nice. It's amazing. Well, that's the sort of good news story we all need at the moment. It's been fantastic catching up with you again, um, and particularly you, to hear about your, your work at, at Bristol City. That's really fascinating. But it's also, you've, you've put a smile back on my face, and I think you'll have put a smile you. back on the face of the listeners as well. So from all of us at the Tool Station Westerly, congratulations on, uh, on your marriage and also on managing to move house during lockdown. I don't know how you manage that either. Um, but um, it's great to have you back on, Brett, and, and, and we'll be following your career with interest. Thank you. Anytime, Ian, let me know. I'll come on again. And my thanks to Brett for his time. Um, so we talked about your time at Radstock, um, Ray. But before then, of course, you you started your your um, your your career as a as a sort of a coach um, when you were player coach at Halland, didn't you? That's that's right. Yeah, uh, went in. Um, like, if I'm being honest, I think he want. I was looking to move into managing and coaching and, and that sort of thing. And he needed a keeper, so I think he's he sort of sold me a line to try and get me in like under those pretenses. It didn't work out, and then I went to Radstock. So yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I think did a full circle. I mean, we're going to talk about Odd Down in a in a in a in a while because you know, I mean, that's really um you know that that that's quite a story. But um, you've also been involved with Portishead and Wells, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. So when I was at Radstock, uh, the Portishead job came available. I went for it, keen as mustard. You know, um, full of intent, good intentions and good ideas. Um, but yeah, went and had a had a really enjoyable season there, and then the year after went to Wells. You know, I had a lot of fun at Wells, but it was um, obviously it it didn't go as well as we'd hoped. Then the season after went to Odd Down again with Terry Moore for a season. He resigned, and they asked if I'd take over, and then I stayed at Odd Down for five years. And I believe it was the second season um, that you were there that you won the Western League. We. Uh, Got a bit of a good spirit at the right time. We got into um, like winning and losing becomes a habit, and we got into a a good run and um, got lucky with some fixtures. And yeah, no, yeah, we won it on goal difference in the end. I mean, that is quite an achievement, and 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 maybe your journey into management is an interesting one because um, I know that a lot of in the professional game, a lot is made, particularly of of continental coaches, where clubs are willing to take. Um, more of a risk perhaps on, on a coach that it, where it hasn't worked out at a club. I mean, do you think that there's something to be um, learned there for, um, for clubs? Because obviously your development as a young coach, um, you're going to make mistakes along the way, but obviously you, you learned some valuable lessons culminating in that, in that fantastic um, uh, league championship. Yeah, I mean, you don't get older, you get wiser, don't you, so they say. But I mean, look, there was things that conspired against us at that season at Wells. Um, I think the the luck that I never had that season, I think I had two years later. So, you know, you, you've got to be sort of 
you're pragmatic in your approach in the sense that you know you it will go round in a cycle somehow. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, it, the, the luck that Wells never had that year was, you know, every, literally everything went against us that season. Uh, you know, and then I look back at some of the things that happened with Odd Down 15, 16, and, it, you know, like, you can just giggle at it sometimes. So, you know, it does go round in circles. So we'll take, we'll t- I'll take that as and when. Um, you know, and it's just good to remember that when you have a bad and someday somewhere you're going to have a good one. So, how do you feel that the, the the Western League compares today to the one that you won back in fifteen um, sixteen? Okay, so the top teams uh, at the time at the time Bristol Manor Farm were obviously big business at the time. Uh, Buckland were really strong. Barnstable actually got promoted because our ground wasn't good enough, um, so they sort of whipped in behind us. Um, I think the depth is stronger. I think the the, the stronger the, the top teams are as strong as they've been, um, but I think you know the, the the depth is a lot deeper in this this season's league, right, as deep as I've known it for a while. Like you know, there were probably a handful of teams that you'd fancy yourself to beat, and everyone else could beat everyone else on their day. So, so the standard um, of of competition, certainly what the fans are seeing week in week out, is is probably higher now than it was then. Um. Over a consistent level, yes. I mean, I could point to some of the games that we were involved in at that level that actually were really good games of football and probably belied the, you know, the the sort of the step that we were at. Uh, but I would say that there's probably bigger games, but it's probably more of them at this level at the moment. And I suppose the other thing that I mean, although you know the clubs that you mentioned in that um, talking about the. Um, you know, the likes of Bristol Manor Farm, for example, I suppose. The other thing is we're seeing something of an evolution, aren't we, of, of, of the Western League with, you know, the in, you know with teams like Plymouth Parkway and Tavistock and Exmouth joining the likes of Buckland that you mentioned, you know, back in, back in those days were a very strong outfit. So, you know, maybe, the, you know, we're seeing a sort of a, 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 a renaissance or a second, a second summer um, coming for the standard of, of football in the league that I suppose really has an, an impact upon all the clubs because if they don't raise their game, um, then they'll get left behind. The stand, like you say, the standard going forward is, has been as good as I can remember it from, you know, from the days that I started playing. When I, you know, when I started playing for Bishop Sutton, probably 2000, 99, 2000, I think, you know, you would have teams like Poulton, Chippenham, Mangotsfield, Tiverton, Taunton still in the league. So it's probably, you know, now that you've got Plymouth, you've got um, Tavistock, and now you've got, you know, other teams that are really pushing and pushing. You know, it's starting to get that kind of strength and depth back in the Western League, which you probably haven't had for 20 years. I mean, your own, your own circumstances, obviously, we know that you, you, know, you started the season at Hallen. Unfortunately, this season didn't work out for you as well as last season did, where you, you really were one of the surprise packages. Um, of, of the league. I mean, you're, I take it you're itching to get back into football whenever, whenever it is we're actually allowed to go out and play it. You know, I don't, I don't feel a sense of desperation to get back into it. Um, if I do get back into it, then it'll have to be for the right project. You know, so I'm not going to... Yes, if something come along that interested me, I'd be, you know, I'd like to have a, I'd like to have a chat with some people. Um, but I'm not going to just accept something if I don't think the project is right. All the time you're waiting for that project to come along, you're very welcome to join us on the Western League pro- um, podcast. And I, I think that probably um, when we are allowed to go back playing, we, um, we, we really do need to dust off the old microphone and do a little bit of, bit of match commentary 
Um, well, who wouldn't who wouldn't want to listen to that? Well, quite. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ray, thank you very much indeed for your for your time and uh, thanks for your um, for your assistance this this evening. I mean, obviously, these are very changing times for all of us, and I'm sure that uh, after this podcast goes out, there'll probably be more information doing the rounds about what's going on in non-league football and, of course, the Tool Station Western League. And of course, we're going to keep going during this period to, to keep you as informed as we can. But from Ray and myself, you've been listening to the Tool Station Western League podcast.